Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in to Utopia Football Podcast. I can't believe it's week 16, it's here, and the Cleveland Browns coming to town uh, with Santa Claus on Christmas Eve here to Houston to face the Houston Texans. Joe Flacco and Case Keenum, just like we all had it drawn up before the season, are facing each other at NRG Stadium. It looks like it would appear on Sunday. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610. And I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. We're going to be joined by Daryl Ryder of 92.3 and the Always Game Day in Cleveland podcast, part of the Odyssey family of football podcast. He's going to join us uh, in this episode to give the Cleveland side of things in this game. This is a huge game for both of these teams. John, it's great to see you as always. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. How are we feeling? I'm doing great. I'm interested to see what Brown's defense comes to Houston. They're giving up 13 points at home, 30 on the road where they're two and four. So they've been a different team. Joe Flacco lost his first game at the Rams. He's won by four and three at home. Uh, defense played a big part in that. So Texans are going to need the kind of defensive effort they had in Tennessee, and I expect it to be a defensive-oriented game. Hey, John, before we get into the six-pack, C.J. Stroud is obviously the biggest story with this team, in addition to their chase for the playoffs. I would equate both of those. They're kind of tied hand-in-hand with each other in some ways. Um, but you were at D'Amico Ryan's press conference yesterday, and there was that exchange that D'Amico had for about a minute and change, about three or four different questions about C.J. Stroud. I thought the most interesting one was the one that Cody Stutes, I think, asked, where he asked, "Is could C.J. Stroud be out for the season? And D'Amico kind of laughed, and he joked, and he said, boy, don't shock me like that. And then he gave the canned concussion protocol answer. I don't know. Did you read anything to, into any of the answers? I, I kind of like that D'Amico had kind of a like a, a – a, a playful demeanor about one of the concussion questions that would seem to indicate like, no, he probably won't be out for the rest of the year. At this point, it's anybody's guess because we're two weeks into this thing and it doesn't seem like he's made a ton of progress. But did you read anything into any of the answers or the demeanor of D'Amico when he was getting hit with all those concussion questions yesterday? Not at all. He's always the same. He won't reveal anything about an injury. Nobody has a clue if Stroud's going to be healthy next week. I read a great story in The Athletic this week about everything a player goes through from the time they tell him to get off the field and get checked 
for a concussion until he can come back, including everything that happens on the sideline in the tent, in the locker room. And uh, Stroud hasn't, he's got to get back on the field for a walkthrough and be able to go through exercises before they talk about contact. Nobody has any contact in practice no. anymore. So, but he does have to get back out there where he can undergo full practices. I hope it'll be next week when they play the Titans again. And uh, especially before they play that last game against Indianapolis, which is shaping up to be a possible uh, playoff spot for that last wild card after everybody's counting Cleveland in because of the Browns are favored, what, two and a half? If they win this game, their odds are 99% that they get in. And people are assuming Buffalo, if it doesn't just win out and win the division, will be the wild card, even though the Bills are behind the Texans right now. Yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. That's what makes this such a massive game between these two teams, John, is that if the Browns win, that's basically one playoff spot that's eliminated as avail- as being available for the Texans. You cannot pass the Cleveland Browns because they'll have a two-game lead on you with two games to go and the head-to-head win. And I'm with you on Buffalo. I think Buffalo clinched the playoff spot to me. I know they literally didn't, but I think functionally they did when they beat the Cowboys uh, last week. Now, that Miami game that they play against uh, the Buffalo plays in Week 18 gets kind of interesting if Miami's still playing for something. That game's in Miami. Buffalo destroyed Miami earlier this year, 48-20. to So that gets a little bit interesting. Buffalo really doesn't have a ton of margin for error because they're losing on all the tiebreakers right now among the eight and six teams. Um, but a win by the Texans on Sunday would go a really, really long way to nailing down one of those one of those wild card spots for sure. Yeah, wouldn't it be interesting if Miami had already clinched and they have the revenge factor, vengeance. You yeah, after being humiliated the way they were in Buffalo, that you would think you would know that Mike McDaniel and his players would love for a chance to even the series. But if it doesn't mean anything, and they do, and they're not going to get a bye week, they're going to play the next week. So it would be wise for them to rest a lot of players. But then that means the Bills could just have a cakewalk over them. I think it'd be great if they play three times, but I'll also hope every game has meaning. It looks like Baltimore is going to get the bye and every other team, not just jockeying to get in the playoffs, but jockeying for playoff positions. And and the one place that I would think nobody would worry about playing would be Jacksonville. Even though uh, the Jaguars have been much better on the road than they are at home. You know, they don't intimidate anybody playing in Duval County. No, not at all. Compa- not compared to the other teams that are leading their divisions right now, for sure. All right, John, let's get into our pregame six-pack then. Daryl Ryder is going to join us in just a little bit from 92.3 The Fan and the Always Game Day in Cleveland podcast. Um, but six players, coaches, storylines that are going to affect the outcome of this game. Again, I look, the line is actually up to minus three now. So the Browns are favored by a field goal at NRG Stadium on Sunday. Um, so, John, let's get it started. You always start us off, so fire away. I'm going to start on what I wrote in my column on SportsRadio610.com on Thursday about the defensive line that just totally manhandled the Titans. The Browns are missing their top three tackles. They're all on IR. And their guards, uh, Joel Batonio and Wade Teller, probably the best in the NFL, both are out. I'm not out of the game, but out of practice with the injuries, they're playing hurt. So this defensive line led by Jonathan Grenard and Malik Collins. 
Both those guys were pretty incredible at Tennessee. They've got to have a similar performance. You know, Sheldon Rankins played very well. D'Amico talked about him on Wednesday, how much he's meant to the line. And then the right end, Derek Barnett, played 34 snaps more than he played all season, including his first 11 games at Philadelphia, where he was number one pick. He had a sack. He had two tackles for loss. He had two knockdowns of Will Levis. He played very well. It was in his hometown, the state where he went to school at Tennessee, but they need him to step up again for Will Anderson Jr. and have a similar kind of performance and put all kinds of pressure on those tackles. One of them is Gron Christian. Yeah, who is in the Texans practice squad earlier this season. So that's where that's where he kind of ranks in the <clears throat> among tackles in the in the league right now. John, I was pretty proud on Texans extra points this week. Um I we filmed it yesterday. Um I was pretty proud of this nickname that I came up. Are you a Sopranos fan at all, John? Are you, sure. Uh Jonathan Grenard's new nickname that I coined for him? Johnny Big Sack. Pussy? John No, no, John, stop. Johnny Sack. That was a nickname. I know it was. I know it was. But ninety percent of the audience might not know that, John. <laughs> but that's but the first the, nickname when I think of the Sopranos, that's what I think of. But yeah, me too. Got? Johnny Sack. He's Johnny, Johnny Sack. Sack. That's a good one. That's pretty good. It was twelve and a half sacks. That's real his good. You should, yeah, you should be proud of that. I told Van. I texted Vandermeer. I said, I want you to have this, Mark. I want you to use this on Sundays. Yeah. Better um, enjoy Johnny Sack while he can because. <laughs> Somebody's going to offer him a lot of money. Somebody's going to offer him a sack full of money. Sack exactly. of money. That, I like that's, that. That's, he'll be Johnny. He'll be Johnny Bags at that point. <laughs> uh, all right, John. My first one in the six pack here: um, the Texans' corners, Derek Stingley Jr., Stephen Nelson. They've got Amari Cooper over there. They've got Marquise Goodwin, who I completely forgot about, but he had a big play this past week in their game against the Bears. I truly think the Texans, I, to use your point on the run game and the defensive line, I think they're going to shut down this run game. I think they're going to put this game on Joe Flacco. And I think the only way the Browns really do much offensively in this game, not doing much offensively, might still win this game because the Browns' defense is really good. But I, the, to me, the only thing where the Browns really get get some serious positive momentum offensively is, is with big chunk plays down the field to Amari Cooper or to Marquise Goodwin or any of the wide receivers, just keep force Joe Flacco to get 10 or 11 or 12 play drives. Cause I think that defensive line is going to force Flacco into some mistakes in this game. I think they're going to hit him like they hit Will Levis in the Titans game, but you got to have the coverage on point, you know, so I'm putting it on really the whole secondary, but specifically those corners. Cause they're going to be the ones and probably Jalen Petrie too, chasing these guys. They're going to take shots downfield with that big arm with Joe Flacco and that speed on the outside. If he can get time to throw, he's a 6'6 pure pocket passer. That's very attractive to pass rushers. I think, didn't we figure up Derek Carr was the last pure pocket passer they played? Yeah. That was October 15th. Yeah. And they also have uh, Elijah Moore, a wide receiver, and rookie Cedric Tillman. They're four deep at receiver, but their leading receiver is tied in David Joku, and he catches the ball down the field. And you know the problems tight ends have created for the Texans. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So they're who's your next? Blake Cashman in there. They will cover. miss Blake, no doubt. They, they, Cashman's their best cover guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you got next, John? Devin Singletary, three one hundred yard games, three and zero record. Uh, we didn't see that coming because they'd been terrible running the ball in three consecutive games and most of the season. The yardage they had was second most this season. He had his second best game. They only gave Damian Pierce the ball one time. That was smart because clearly 
Singletary is the better runner. And he also is a good receiver, which he showed in overtime. So I imagine to offset a pass rush, Miles Garrett leads them in t- with uh, 12 or 13 sacks, but he hasn't had one in four consecutive games. And Ogbo Gronquo was there last year, number two with yeah. four and a half. Case Keenum is going to have to utilize that running game. He's going to have to utilize Singletary's receiver because he's not going to throw the ball down the field like C.J. Stroud. He's going to do a lot of check downs and a lot of short passes, especially because he's got to get rid of the ball fast. No doubt. No, And that leads into mine. By the way, Nick Casario said on his in his interview with John Harris and Mark Vandermeer this week that he thought a big reason they ran the ball so well this week was because of Case Keenum. You know, seeing what the defenses were doing up front with Miles Garrett moving around up front for the Browns. That, I mean, I'm look, I CJ Stroud's a better football player than Case Keenum, period, end of subject. But there are some things, maybe specifically in this matchup, that Case is able to do as the veteran that might lead to the Texans having a little more success in other facets that, you know, like the run game and the protections that maybe CJ's 13 games in is just not up to speed like Case Keenum is yet. So that that part gives me a little bit of optimism. As far as my bottle in the six-pack here, Dalton Schultz, if you're getting it out quickly, it looked like Case was building a little something with Dalton Schultz in the second half of that game, including a catch Dalton Schultz made that might have saved, excuse me, might have saved the season for the Texans where he wrestled the ball away from, um, from McCreary, that DB for, uh, for the Titans. So I think Dalton Schultz, if it's going to be a quick hit type of passing game, Maybe both tight ends, Dalton Schultz and Brevin Jordan. I know Brevin mispracticed with an illness on Wednesday. We'll see what the report says today. But definitely Dalton Schultz is a big one for me just based on the 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 what you said, John, the nature of the passing game and how that's going to have to be this week. I think because they'll utilize him on short and intermediate routes and another reason to get rid of the ball quick, I think you're looking at a big game from Schultz. Yep. Absolutely. What's your last one, John? My last one is one that uh, you used last week that turned out to be prophetic. It's going to be Kaimi Fairbairn. Mm-hmm. Comes back from five games out because of a thigh injury, and he kicks four field goals, including 53 and 54 as time expired. I think it's going to be a close game. Odds makers, as you pointed out, have it at three. That means a field goal is going to be the difference between him or Hopkins. Yeah, I, I think Kaimi was great. Special teams player of the week, as we anticipated. So our fifth Texan who is the who, who won a player of the week award, the fifth one, um, fifth different player. They've had five player of the week awards in a season before, but the last time they did it, Deshaun Watson won three of them. <laughs> so this is five different players, two defense, two offense, and a special teams player. I think that, that's sort of a microcosm of what D'Amico Ryans has been building here. One of the questions that Drew Doherty asked on the – extra points episode that I did was who's the most unsung member of the Texans defense. I'm like, I feel like the whole defense is a bunch of unsung guys, you know, like Will Anderson's probably the biggest star based on his history at Alabama and the great rookie year that he's had. But I feel like there's not a ton of, you know, Stingley's a star player, but he hasn't played a ton this year yet. Um, I've got one. Go ahead. Who would your answer be? Sheldon Rankins. Yeah. Yeah. D'Amico really wanted him, pushed for him because he played in his system. And as he yeah. talked about on Wednesday, he knows the system and he's really smart when they charge up the field of being aware of possibility of draws and screens and using an example in the game against the Titans where they tried to catch him off guard with a draw and he read it and made the tackle in the backfield. Yeah, mine was Malik Collins. And I almost think you can interchange either of those guys, you know, sort of veteran 
guys who've been game wreck, you're not game wreckers to the degree of Miles Garrett, but they've been pocket wreckers at times this year. Um, so mine was mine was uh, was Malik Collins in, in that. But I think D'Amico's really he's got this defense, uh, you know, coming off of this Titans game here. They weren't good against the Jets, but they've largely been good the second half of the season here. So I'm excited to see what they do this Sunday. And the, and the defensive line, the main coach is Matt Burke, the defensive yeah. coordinator. And I asked Miko about him yesterday since it was wanted to know for my column, a guy that nobody's talking about. It was just one game. He, Steven Sims as a returner, a punt returner, and a kick yeah, big. returner did a really good job. He, you know, John, I'll, I'll tack that one on as the last bottle of the six pack special teams. You know, there's, I think this is one of those games where invisible yards, either if you get an interception and you get some return yardage, or if you get, you get yardage in the punt return or the, the kickoff return game. Um, I think it'd be really, really big if this turns into a, I could see this game turning into a field position battle, you know, it's kind of how that Titans game looked last week. I think this game's going to look real, real similar with no CJ Stroud out there and I'll just throw a little sub bottle in as well like a little separate uh, 12 ouncer in the six pack here <clears throat> I will be very anxious to see what the crowd and the energy is like in the stadium on Sunday you know like how how Browns laden that crowd is how loud the crowd is how, how much Texan fans show up on Christmas Eve even though this is a massive massive game for the Houston Texans you know are people <clears throat> are people saying I want to watch it on TV because I got to get to church or whatever the case may be um I would never tell people to disregard God on Christmas Eve, but I would say if you have tickets, you know, at least make sure somebody uses them. How about that? Uh, it, you know, to the point where I, I, I just like to see people in the seats. Like it, that'll be discouraging if there's a ton of empty seats in the stadium. There'll be a lot good. of Browns fans there because Texans fans sold their tickets before the season started because they thought they're going to be bad. So expect a crowd like the Broncos where there's going to be a lot of Cleveland fans and so many of them live in this area. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, John, what's your prediction for the game? Well, I was going to take the Browns, I think, but I looked at what they've done on the road defensively, giving up 30 points a game, and how well the Texans' defense is playing. So I'm going to pick this one. I'm going to think Fairbairn could kick four or five field goals again, so I'm going to take the Texans' 20 and the Browns' 17. 20 to 17. Okay, John, and I have this written down in my Houston press preview for tomorrow. So this is no joke. I've already got, I mean, I can screen grab it and show it to you. I have Texans 20, Brown 17. I'll take 1916. No, come on. Let's see. Let's be the same here, John. Let's be twinsies here. Score prediction twinsies. All right. You're going to go 1916. I see you right there. You don't want to be twins with me. I see you. No, I don't want to be twins. I'd have to shave my head. <laughs> and your mustache too. Oh, That's yeah. iconic. Yeah. Or you'd have to grow one. <laughs> you, yeah. Nobody wants that. Um, all right, we have Daryl Ryder expected to join us uh, here shortly on the pod. Uh, why don't we do, John, we can do a couple for real or fugazis while we wait for Daryl to get here, kill a little time. You want to do that? Sure. All right, let's do it. For real or fugazi. I've got a handful of these in front of me. Um, I, they're sentences. I read them to John, and John reacts to them. If he thinks I'm being truthful, if he likes what I had to say, then he says for real. If he thinks what I said is stupid or false, or uh, hot takey, whatever the case may be. John says, Ugazi. Ugazi. Thank you, John. Yes, Italian for counterfeit or fake. All right, here we go, John. Miles Garrett, right now, the season ended, is the defensive player of the year in the NFL. For real Ugazi. or Ugazi? Wow. I think there's other candidates. He hadn't had a second four games, and 
And even though it shouldn't be all sacks, and he is a dominant player on the number one defense, too often the voters of who I'm used to, of whom I used to be one for like 35 years, till mm-hmm. the Chronicle wouldn't let us, and I haven't gone back on the committee. But uh, they look for sacks, and there's some great defensive performances around the league. I I just hope it's not Micah Parsons because all that pub he gets for the Cowboys. Yeah, it, well, Mike is up there on the odds board. Nick Bosa is up there on the odds board. Andy Kalou said Max Crosby would be his defensive player of the year he's right now. He's been fantastic on yeah, a defense been, that's not very good. Been really good. I mean, because he's, he, he's got he doesn't just have the sack numbers. He's got like TFL numbers and press. Like he's been he's been prolific this year. That was yes, an interesting that was an interesting selection for me. <clears throat> um, all right, John. Let's well let's bring it back to the Texans. Jonathan Grenard has been amazing this year. He, John, is the Texans. Defensive Player of the Year, for real or Fugazi? Absolutely, he's he's been he is by far the most sacks, the most pressures, the most tackles for loss, and the most quarterback hits. That's about as good as it gets. Last year of his contracts, first year he stayed healthy. He's going to make a lot of money. Hopefully, it'll be with the Texans, but uh, there's a good chance it's going to be for somebody else. Who's the who's in second place for you, John? Uh, defensively, I, yeah. I can't take anybody from the secondary. If I did, it would be Steven Nelson. Yep. And, uh, of the linebackers, I would say Blake Cashman mm-hmm. right now. He's, he's going to miss, I think his second game. Yep. But then if it's after Blake Cashman, it'd be a guy that's answered the bell every day. He's been great against the run. He's got pressure up the middle. That would be Malik Collins. Okay. So Will Anderson doesn't even crack your top three, huh? He'd be number, you know, I take that back. He'd be number three after Cashman and then Collins. Yeah. Yeah. Unless he um, misses a bunch of games. Yep. All right. Um. Let's keep it moving here. Uh, my second place for me. No, first. Would you take Grenard? Oh, Grenard for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Grenard for sure. Way. Yeah. Grenard. Yeah. The, yeah. Grenard is that. That's an easy one. The 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 second place one is an interesting conversation for me because I might go with Nelson. He's been so consistent back there. He's had big plays. He's had big turnovers at big times in games. His turnover in the Titans game, John, was what triggered the the momentum in the second half of that game. First possession for the Titans. That the Titans getting the ball out of the second half in that game was massive considering they were up 10, they were up 13 to 3 at the half. They go down and get some points on that first possession. And boy, you are really paddling upstream. And for Nelson to come away with that pick was huge. So I might go with Nelson second behind Grenard. And he's like to your point about the about Malik Collins. Nelson, I don't think, has missed a game yet. He's been banged up at times, but I don't think he's missed a single game yet for he the hasn't. Texans. He's played hard. And Blake Cashman's interception at Jacksonville way back in the third game of the season triggered their comeback. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let John, we'll hit pause on for real or Fugazis, and we will uh we will bring in our, our guest here as we get ready for the Browns and the Texans on Sunday at NRG Stadium. Joining us right now, he is uh, he, he is one of the hosts on Always Game Day in Cleveland, of course, part of the great team at 92.3 The Fan, our sister station here at Sports Radio 610, our sister station in Cleveland. He covers the Browns. Daryl Ryder joining us right now here on the Utopia Football Podcast. Daryl, Sean, and John, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, appreciate you making some time. Okay, so we've been talking about this Browns team. They've been one of the more fascinating stories in the season so far. Nine and five with four different quarterbacks winning football games for this team. How have they done this this year? Well, it's a question we're uh, still trying to find an answer to here in Cleveland because typically when they get to the second quarterback, that means the season just went off the rails and uh, into the ravine. And that's not happened this year. Um, They have found ways – 
uh, in my view, mostly because of their defense, uh, which I think is, especially when they play at home, it's one of, if not the best uh, in the National Football League. But, um, you know, I give Kevin Stefanski a lot of credit. I, I think he is uh, right now the leader in the clubhouse for coach of the year, in my view, just because of the, the fact that they have had four different starting quarterbacks uh, win a football game for them. Joe Flacco uh, has get injected some life into this team since they added him uh, into the mix. He was on a couch on November 15th, and uh, they get they get him in here, and he's winning football games for him as well. And it's not just a game management type of thing. I mean, he made a throw in the win over Chicago. I've seen that throw 150 times on television. I have never sat in a press box and watched a Cleveland Browns quarterback make that throw where he threaded the needle to Amari Cooper through three defenders and went for a 51-yard touchdown. So this isn't a case where Joe Flacco has come in here and just been a game manager. He is uh, someone that they are leaning on offensively. Daryl, thank you for coming in. You mentioned earlier about their defense at home. Of course, they're number one overall in defense, number one against the pass. But how do you explain the discrepancy, giving up 13 points a game, at home and 30 on the road. Yeah, you know, I, I think that certainly home field advantage is, is part of the equation, but, um, you know, I it, I don't think that that's just it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, and, it, and again, it's one of those things we, we just got done uh, earlier this morning uh, visiting with Jim Schwartz and the topic came up again. And it's a question we've asked Kevin Stefanski at least a dozen times this year because it's, it is such a stark contrast between how the defense plays at home versus on the road. And it's no coincidence they're 7-1 and one at home, but they're 2-4 and four when they play outside of Cleveland. And if they want to uh, have any shot to make a run, uh, should they make the playoffs, they're going to have to do it on the road. Right? Unless Baltimore you know, collapses and the Browns win all their games, uh, the Browns are not going to host the playoff game. They're going to have to do this on the road also good that they have the, the, the best one of the best road quarterbacks uh, in playoff history and Joe Flacco uh, on the team. But th this defense, for whatever reason, on the road uh, has struggled. Big plays. They don't give a, a lot of big plays at home. They give a lot of explosive plays up when they are away from home. Uh, and uh, so um, they've had some injuries on that side of the ball as well. I know a lot of talk uh, when you talk about the Browns injuries, it's on the offensive side. Look, uh, they had to replace both starting safeties last week. Uh, Grant Delpit's done for the season, so he's not even coming back. Denzel Ward's been banged up, missed a couple of games, came back last week, very limited. Uh, we'll see what he's uh, able to do as far as his availability goes. Uh, Obanaya Okoronkwo, uh, one of the de rotational defensive ends that they signed to kind of help Miles Garrett out uh, in the pass rush game. He has a torn pectoral muscle. They are wishing upon a star that he might be able – to return wow. at the end of the season. They just won't put him on injured reserve at this point. So um, there, there is an injury factor in here as well. But, yeah, it's just that energy that they have at home, they've not traveled with it. Hmm. John, I know you had a Miles Garrett question for Daryl, too, as a follow-up. Well, I did, Daryl. I know he's a candidate for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And, uh, but I, and I know he's also playing hurt. He doesn't have a sack in four games in a row after dominating. Is that because he's been hurt, plays hurt, or is he just getting so much more attention? He's being held. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that, that's what's happening. I mean, it, 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 you know, it's interesting. Every time I, you know, write my stories, I'll go into our, our photo services, and I, if I'm looking for a picture of 95, there's at least five per week where he is blatantly being held in the photograph. He's not getting any calls. 
Uh, they've done the complain real thing to the NFL, right? You do that behind the scenes. You send in the where you, the clarification that you'd like to get on on certain plays. The it, it's not helping them. Miles Garrett then voices his frustration after the Jacksonville game uh, about the the lack of holding calls. Well, guess what? With the commissioner in the building last weekend against Chicago, not a single holding call, and there was about eight of them that could have been called. But he is getting a ton of attention. And, but here's the thing too. Um, he's still affecting the game. And and it's interesting this week. It feels like because, as you mentioned, John, this is the fourth straight week now. He's not had a sack after starting off with 13 and leading the NFL. Um, and there's the narrative out there, well, it's December, so this is where Miles Garrett tends to trail off and, and fade, with the exception of last year where he did finish the season strong. But he is affecting the passer. Uh, he had 10 pressures last week. Um, you know, there's they're sliding tight ends and running backs and extra offensive tackles and guards his way. He's getting double and triple team quite a bit. But also, like I said, they are grabbing at the jersey. He's getting steered by the face mask. There's one photograph uh, when they played in Denver a few weeks ago. He literally is being chokeholded and, hmm. and no, no, no flag is being called. And he's, his arms are flailing because he's trying to show the, uh, the officials, you know, hey, uh, you know, I, I can't get through when, I, when I'm getting a, a chokehold here. But the other part of it, too, is is um, the, the conversation has been, uh, and Jim Schwartz has mentioned this, Garrett has mentioned it, they're frustrated when he gets double teamed, how uh, the way games are officiated, officials don't like throwing flags when a player is having to fight through a double team there. Uh, when it's one-on-one, -on -one, they're more prone to throw a flag if there's a blatant hold. But when it's a double team, that's just the way the league tends to officiate mm -hmm. things. But even though he's not stuff in the box score, the Miles Garrett for Defensive Player of the Year campaign is going strong here in Cleveland. All three coordinators today uh, stumped for him. Uh, Kevin Stefanski on Monday stumped for him. And Kevin does not go out of his way to you know praise his players excessively. Uh, just as a head coach, that's not how he does things, but he certainly did it on Monday. Well, if it's not going to be, you know, if it's not going to be somebody from the Texans, just know, Daryl, that the Texans fan base here, if it's going to be somebody, is probably split between T.J. Watt, who is, of course, the brother of our legendary J.J. Watt, and then Miles Garrett, because half right. the, the audience are Aggies down here, and they love Miles Garrett. So he'll have a lot of people in the building, I'm sure, on Sunday. I'm curious yeah. to – we're joined by Daryl Ryder. Um, it's it's always game day in Cleveland, 92.3, the fan joining us here on the podcast. Um I'm curious, especially because you guys are familiar with Case Keenum from his time in Cleveland. What are you guys talking about? How How is this particular Texans team with Case at quarterback, not C.J. Stroud, coming off of that win in Tennessee being viewed by you guys this week? Well, it, look, I, from my standpoint, I'm worried for the Browns. I think this is a game where, first of all, it's on Christmas Eve, you know, so these guys are leaving their families and having to go on the road uh, for the holiday here. That's number one. Number two, we, we mentioned the defense earlier and how just whatever energy that they have at home, they haven't really been able to manufacture that consistently uh, consistently on the road, which is a problem for them. Uh, but Case Keenum, look, he won two games for Kevin Stefanski uh, a couple of years ago uh, here in Cleveland. He won one for you last weekend. I mean, all he seems to do is win as a uh, number two quarterback. Um, but He's not being viewed here in Cleveland, I can assure you, as a number two quarterback by this coaching staff because, again, he was here. Uh, Kevin Stefanski knows him. Alex Van Pelt knows him. Um, you know, so they are not discounting or, you know, breathing a sigh of relief that C.J. Stroud is not going to be on the field. I mean, obviously, that is a little bit of an advantage for the Browns that they don't have to play uh, C.J. But, um, yeah, Case Keenum is absolutely being taken seriously 
he's he's he he's been a winner uh everywhere he's gone um and uh you know he won a game for you last weekend in overtime yeah. against Tennessee so this is not one where the Browns think they're flying to Houston for for a you know a holiday weekend where they just show <laughs> up and 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 pick up their win because Houston mirroring the Browns a little bit here for injuries I mean they're going toe to toe on the injury report this week Brown 16 players, Texans with 15. I mean, it's a, it's a mash unit <laughs> it is. between these two teams. It is. Daryl, I got a question, please. And I'm not saying this is going to happen, but what if, what if Flacco were to engineer the Browns to their first Super Bowl title, who would be the starting quarterback going into training camp? Probably Miles Garrett, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish. I, some, sometimes I wish Miles could play quarterback. Um, no, it, it probably it, it would be Deshaun. Um, they they have two hundred and thirty million dollars invested in this guy. Um, there's part of me, and it is a debate that even on our local shows, that they uh, it's already happening, right? That you know Joe Flacco's coming in and making Deshaun look really really bad because this guy was on his couch and. He's uh, set. He's tied Vinny Testaverde for the most touchdown passes in franchise history in his first three starts with seven, and he broke Baker Mayfield's uh, 2018 record for most passing yardage in his first three starts. <laughs> and they did not give uh, Joe Flacco 230 million dollars, and they did not give the Houston Texans six draft picks, including three first rounders, for him either. Um, so there is, there has been that d debate kind of brewing here in Cleveland about what to do if Joe Flacco keeps this up in relation to Deshaun Watson. But I'm telling you, there's no out for the Browns that for, for better or worse, they are stuck with Deshaun Watson. Um, they have to be committed to him and Joe Flacco. We have talked to him about his future. Uh, and he has made it very clear he wants to play in 2024. So he's not mm -hmm. looking, he's not looking to hold the clipboard. Um, yeah. So if for as important as the backup quarterback position, I think everyone around the NFL is finding out is, you know, this season, I think it's seven starters, including the Browns, who uh, are done for the season. Um, it, as much as I'd love to see them bring Joe Flacco back next year, I, I don't know that I see that happening. Uh, just because, uh, again, of I think Joe Flacco's playing himself into another nice contract, which when you're paying one quarterback $46 million, is part of the reason Jacoby Brissett isn't here this year yeah. is because they paid him $6 million to be the backup slash starter while Deshaun was suspended, and he played well. Like the, He was not the reason they went 4-7 and seven in those 11 games. It was the defense. The defense couldn't cover anyone, couldn't get off the field to save their life. And if Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback on this team this year, um, and in that very same situation, he probably goes seven and four with this defense and Jim Schwartz running it. So, yeah, it, it's 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 a great question, John. It's one that's being debated here in Cleveland right now. Uh, I've tried to steer away from it because I'm like, let's just enjoy the fact that the Browns are winning. It's mid-December. They're in the playoff race. They're trying to make the playoffs for the second time in four years, which you couldn't say. Uh, dating back to the you know 1980s with Marty Schottenheimer. So let's enjoy the ride. Then we can fight over quarterbacks in the offseason. But it is a conversation that's already started to percolate what to do with Joe Flacco and what to do with Deshaun Watson. But I'm telling you, there's there's no out with that contract. They are no. they're stuck. Like the cap hit, let let's just we're just having a conversation here, right? Let's say the Browns say, yeah, we're just we're we're done with Deshaun, right? We're gonna move on, we're gonna trade him, we're gonna cut him, whatever. 
the cap hit next year is like $190 million. Yeah. Yeah, they shoved so much of it into the future, Daryl, right? I mean, they, like he's he's made $92 million. The cap only thinks that he's made like $12 million right. or something, like some crazy low number. So, yeah, it's 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 wild. Okay, so one more on Deshaun before we get you out of here. We really appreciate your time. Just forget about the cap. Forget about everything else. And, you know, and, and Deshaun's inavailability may affect the answer to this question. But, like, how is the fan base with Deshaun right now? Is he liked? Is he despised? Is it somewhere in between? Like, what's the emotional connection with Deshaun Watson two years in here? Well, right now, he's not much of a factor. Uh, mm-hmm. amongst fans because they're you know flacco fever has taken over everybody's yeah. wacko for flacco now you see the signs in the stadium and things like that <laughs> but um I, I i'll say this about the situation he came with a lot of baggage um and uh, i was actually surprised his first training camp last year i i think i heard one snide comment come out of the crowd um i didn't see any protests at training camp mm-hmm. uh which i was a little surprised by um after the game, they the autograph sessions and things like that, women and children were lining up to get his autograph and things like that. So the negative effect of the accusations and the lawsuits and the suspension, the reaction to that was I, I think my reaction to it was a lot stronger than the public reaction that I was I was expecting. I will say this. This Browns team is easy to root for right now. They're mm-hmm. they're underdogs again. Joe Flacco comes in. He, he yeah. was in a semi-forced retirement. His phone wasn't ringing until Cleveland called him. The Browns have a ton of injuries. They lost Nick Chubb. They lost Jack Conklin. They lost Grant Delpit. They, they got 14 guys on IR. Could be 15 at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and here they are, 9-5, and five, uh, and in the thick of a playoff race. And they're kind of the, the story, so to speak. I, I think that they're the feel-good story around the National Football League. And to be perfectly honest with you, if Deshaun Watson was the quarterback of this team right now, no, no. I don't know that that's actually the conversation. Yeah, probably not. Daryl Ryder, it's always game day in Cleveland. 92-3, the fan does a great job covering the Cleveland Browns. It's an awesome podcast, too. Go ahead and put that on your list, Texan fans. Great way to get a preview from a Browns perspective on the game coming up this Sunday at NRG Stadium. Daryl, really appreciate your time. Happy holidays. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on with us, man. Thank you, Daryl. Same. Same to you. Pleasure talking to you, John and Sean. Thank All right. You. Thanks, Daryl. Appreciate you. That's Daryl Ryder. It's always game day in Cleveland. They are uh, they are crazy about their Browns in Cleveland, no doubt. No doubt about that. Um, anything uh, jump off the page for you in that conversation, John, there, about uh, either the game coming up on Sunday or the Deshaun Watson aspect of the whole thing? Uh, no, he the, didn't mention they've lost their top three offensive tackles. You know, at least yeah. the Texans have – Laramie Tunsil's still playing, and he's their best lineman, but they lost Jack Conklin earlier, early, then Jedrick Wills Jr., and then they've lost uh, Dewan Jones, their rookie. So we talked earlier, they're three down just there. The Texans should be able to play well against their offensive line and get after Flacco, who is not uh, someone they've got to worry about taking off and running. It's got to be killing Willie Anderson to miss this game. Uh, you're looking at the, what the Browns are down to on the edges there. You know what I mean? Like this is a this is another game to go get a couple sacks. That's got to be killing him to miss this game. All right, John, I got a couple more fugazis. You want to do these before we uh, head out? Yeah, we appreciate, absolutely. Appreciate Daryl Ryder joining us. That was a good some good insight 
on uh, how the Browns got to where they are. And I think even more so just the vibe around the Browns. This Flacco thing, that's Flacco thing, John, is something that you pray for when you're a radio host in a city like that. Cinderella story out of nowhere. Yes. It's just been crazy. It's been crazy. Um, all right, here we go, John. Aaron Rodgers taking a roster spot for the New York Jets. People don't know Aaron Rodgers was reacted off of IR just one day after telling Pat McAfee that he's unable to play the rest of the year. Aaron Rodgers taking a roster spot makes perfect sense for real or for Gazy. Yeah, man, it's Gazy. It makes no sense whatsoever because he's already said he's not going to play. Just another dumb decision by the Jets in a season in which Robert Sala and general manager Joe Douglas will be fortunate to keep their jobs, and they will because of the of the Rodgers factor. I was going to say Flacco factor because of Rodgers. They need a season with him. They'll get it next season. And if it doesn't all work out the way Woody Johnson wants, they'll be looking for a new coach and a new GM. But, man, that just makes no sense. No. John, hang on. That's all right. I know you're getting there it. There we go. My, 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 my computer is about to run out of battery. There we go. It's <laughs> <laughs> a beauty of a podcast. You can do Everybody stuff like that. Everybody listening or watching us has had a problem with their computer at some point. I looked up. I, well, the problem was I just didn't have it plugged in. I like I've, I've just been operating off a battery, and when you, which is fine if all you're doing is sitting there typing notes and things like that. But when you're streaming and then streaming multiple feeds and things like that, gets a little dice here. All right, I got a couple more, John, for you here. A couple. Let's do. Uh, I got two more NFL, one baseball, and then a Christmas one for you here. Um, Matt Eberflus is three and two in his last five games, and the only losses are close ones to the Lions and the Browns, both playoff teams right now. John Farrell or Fugazi, Matt Eberflus has saved his job for 2024. Fugazi, it's too early to say that if they lose their last three. What their big decision is, is I keep seeing all these former NFL people saying they should keep Justin Fields. Well, no. you know, you shouldn't keep Justin Fields. Number one, they're going to have to pay a monstrous amount of money next year if they do because he'll get extended. And they could start over with Caleb Williams or Drake May. And I mean, there's no way they got to find somebody to trade him, get a conditional pick based on what he does. And if he stays healthy, everybody thinks Atlanta would be a good spot based on their offense. But um, Eberflus, it'd be funny if he does win a couple more, they might be more inclined to uh, get a new offensive coordinator in there that fits what they want to do with Caleb Williams and a guy to keep an an eye on might be Cliff Kingsbury, who's worked mm. with USC's offensive offense. Texans interviewed him uh, 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 when they were putting together their staff, yeah. and he's had a year with Caleb Williams. You know the way things have gone for Lincoln Riley. Maybe they'll hire him as offensive coordinator. Gee, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, all right, John. He did a terrible job out there this season. Oh, I read brutal. a deep dive about everything that went wrong, and he was done awfully. Mm. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Um, all right, John, if the Texans win this weekend against Cleveland, um, then that'll mean they've got Tennessee coming up at home next week. And then the Indianapolis Colts game, which is a massively, massively important game mathematically for the Texans in the postseason. So if the Texans win this weekend against Cleveland, they should sit C.J. Stroud for one more week, week regardless of what the protocol says, just to be safe and be geared up for the Indianapolis Colts in Week 18. For real or Fugazi? Fugazi. That kind of strategy usually backfires if he's ready. There's not going to be a deal where, okay, he's 95%, put him out there. That could be with your knee 
or a soft tissue injury, but not with a concussion. Yeah. He will not play again to be cleared until he is 100% ready. Yep. Uh, all right, John. A lot of uh, a lot of speculation swirling around the Astros and Framber Valdez. John, for real or Fugazi, the Astros should trade Framber Valdez if the package is good enough. Fugazi, I think they're still got that window Boy. open to try to get to a World Series, and he's their second best pitcher behind Justin Verlander. And even though he was up and down last year, mostly down at the end of the season, you can't start trading those guys. They're probably not going to have McCullers. Luis Garcia won't be available till middle of the season or later. Frommer's a big part of what they do. I want to see what he can do with Yiner Diaz and Joe Espada. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Like, I mean, you, you created this window for a reason to try to win championships. All the talk, like, should they trade Bregman? Should they trade Framber? Should No, ride it out with these guys. Now, the season's not going well, and you get to the middle of the season and the trade deadline comes and somebody offers you five prospects for Framber Valdez. That changes the calculus a little bit. But Yeah, well, sure, but nobody's going to do that. Yeah. Unless he's pitching uh, great. With last year of Altuve and Bregman's contract, Jim Crane going to step up and give them the kind of money now Jose Altuve will be older. Yeah. Bregman, you know, he's still at the in his prime years. If you're gonna let him go and maybe keep Altuve, why would you keep Fromber if you could trade him for picks? Thank God they signed Jordan Alvarez to that contract extension. And just like Can you Altuve, imagine the yeah, yeah, him and Altuve and uh Bregman all signed team team friendly deals, what turned yeah. out to be team friendly deals. And my goodness, can you imagine what Alvarez would a command on the open market right now. I think Bregman, you know, not to, yeah, no, I, I yeah, I mean, Altuve, or I'm sorry, uh, Alvarez is one of the five best hitters in the game. I, you know, the, it's funny you say hometown deal for Bregman. Like they did buy out his arbitration year, so he wasn't going to make a ton of money in those, comparatively speaking, in those arbitration Good years. And they, you know, and, and and there were, Bregman had a couple tough years there after that near MVP season in yeah. 2019. Wasn't good in the COVID season. And wasn't good in 2021 either. He finally got it back these last two years. Um, but I, I think I, I think both sides got exactly what they paid for and what they received for the Bregman deal. I don't I don't think Bregman I don't think the the Astros had to make Bregman take a haircut on his deal. I think it was perfectly in the end. It was a fair deal on both sides. I thought the one I'm worried about losing is Tucker. If they let Correa go, let Springer go, and I'm afraid they're going to let Tucker go because well, Jim Crane just won't do those long term deals. Tucker, to me, Tucker is a safer bet with a long-term deal that, that Crane doesn't want to do than yeah. either of the two guys you yes. just named. Of course, he's younger. He's got two more years, I think, and people better enjoy him. Yeah, he's well, he's younger, and he's also durable. Like, he never misses games. You know, Springer was hurt all the time. Correa was hurt all the time. And Springer was older. I mean, Springer was 31 when he hit free agency. You know, nobody was ever going to give him a 10-year deal. Um, you know, Toronto gave him six and there's word in Toronto that they would love to get out from underneath the George Springer contract up there. So bring um, him back here, put him out in center field. Can you imagine what Alvarez would do if he could be as durable as Bregman? Oh, Tucker, John, he'd be putting up Barry Bonds numbers. He, he I mean, he, yeah, it'd be crazy. All right. Last one, John Christmas. You open all of your presents on Christmas day and no other day for real or Fugazi. For real. Yeah. When I was a kid, we would open some on Christmas Eve and then Santa Claus would come and we'd get up and we'd do it again. But once I, you know, my eyes were open to that one, 
it was never the same. So we just waited till Christmas morning. Yeah, I like Christmas morning too. I like having it all on Christmas morning for sure. We got good um, football games. You and I are going to be working on Christmas Eve. And yeah, you got post game. We got our we got our post game podcast at six thirty, and then I'll be writing a column after that. So I'm glad we're not going to be opening Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. Yeah, well, you and I wouldn't be able to. They'd have to wait anyway. Santa would have to wait for us. Absolutely. So. Um, uh, yeah, this should be a whole lot of fun on Sunday. The Browns come into town. John, what do you got going on on the website leading up to the game? I have a column that is uh, up uh, on sportsradio610.com where there's no paywall, and it's all about the run defense and Matt Burke, his role working with Jacques Césaire and uh, the uh, – my mind's gone blank – Rod Wright, the, the assistant line coach, and wh- why they've done such an incredible job – against the run last 10 games are giving up 85 yards a game there you go go find it on sportsradio 610.com john uh i will see you at uh 11 15 sunday morning christmas eve outside nrg stadium to do your hit with me and seth on the pregame show on texans countdown so i'm looking forward to that i look forward to it thank you very much sean and thank you very much to james and i want to wish james a very merry christmas even though we'll see him on christmas eve unless he's going to Take off on us, James. Are you there? Are you going to take a what's What's your status for this Sunday, James? What, what's What's uh, Give us a Give us a, an introspective. I, I will I will be with you guys on Christmas Eve. Good. How, how could I miss the holidays with my my two favorite Texan? Uh, <laughs> That'll be great. We'll have, We'll have Santa hats on, and we'll just yeah. Speak. We should all come with the Santa. Should, I'm a Villanova Santa hat. If that's okay. But oh, I'll, that's I'll, that works perfectly. We'll have our Santa hats on, and we'll drink our eggnog while we're talking about a Texans win. Let's yeah, hope. Let's I, I can drink my spiked eggnog in the background because I don't have to get on the mic. And absolutely. You can do whatever you want, man. The I'll, world I'll is your oyster. Mess up. I'll try not to mess up some graphics in the back. Now I'll be, I'll be perfectly. <laughs> well, are I can't, yeah, wait yeah. can't wait for it. You can see what you're going to do on New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, New York. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually very tame on New Year's Eve. I've learned that New Year's Eve. I don't. New Year's Eve gets built up all year as this grand big holiday, and then I'm tired of the disappointment. So. You'll actually find me very, very mild on, on New Year's okay. Eve. Okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Amateur hour on New Year's Eve. That's yeah, what I call it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to find a week to stay uh to, to watch the ball drop at this point. That's it. And I stay at home, man, on New Year's Eve. This is it. We uh if we're looking to brand our podcast, we're the lamest New Year's Eve people podcast of all time. And I'm happy with that. Yeah, I wear that have probably. I wear that. Yep. All right, cool. Well, we'll uh all we'll see uh we'll see all of you guys listening, watching right now on the stream. Um uh, on uh, on Sunday after the game, uh, hopefully a Texans win against the Cleveland Browns, and that would make the Texans nine and six and give them a really really good shot at the postseason. So, click that subscribe button. We ask you to do that so that you get this podcast sent to you automatically. If you want to send in mailbag questions, hou mailbag at gmail.com hou mailbag at gmail.com for James and John. I am Sean. We are out of time. Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll see you on Sunday. Have a great weekend. This has been the Utopia Football Podcast.